Hansel, those are some really nice shoes. How much did you pay for those things? Come on, Josh, you know how I roll. Dude, if you're not careful, you're gonna end up on preachers and sneakers. Oh man, well, I probably wouldn't be the first juice host, to be honest. But let me say this, let he who is without Yeezys cast the first stone. Okay, we should probably talk about this, like the whole idea, like what role does money play in the Christian life? Yeah, yeah, we should, that's very important. Hey guys, today we're gonna dive into this really complicated topic. Christians and money, is it a tool, a weapon, or a stumbling block? Yeah, I mean, it's huge. We know, like, in all seriousness, we, we see accounts like preachers and sneakers and prophets and watches, and it's a really divisive thing that we can talk about there. It really is. But we have to have a serious conversation, like, is the idea of money, is the dollar value assigned to something mm -hmm. indicative of the Christian person's life, right? Yeah. It, like, we know it is to some degree, because yeah. Jesus says where your money is, there your heart will be also. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There, But how much and... You know, if you're gifted them, is that different from you buying them? Like, there's so many implications that exactly. we have to work through. For sure. And Josh, let me just be really frank and upright with you to start and say that in my experience and even in the literature that I've read, I think that as evangelicals, we're missing the mark on this topic. I don't think that we're starting from the right perspective. And the reason is because we tend to take a bottom-up approach. And what I mean by that is we start with our experience, we start with our lived understandings and our questions about, well, how much should I spend on a watch? Mm. How much should a pastor make? Mm -hmm. In what context um, should I be planting a church? Yeah. And these pragmatic questions, which are fine, like they're good questions, but constructing an ethic or a perspective on money that starts from the bottom up is insufficient. So what I want to propose to you today and get your feedback is look what happens when we take a top-down approach, meaning a theologically robust framework of how money is actually tied to the heart and to worship in the Bible, in the Bible story, and how then that informs the practical questions. Okay, so you're basically saying, if I'm hearing you right, instead of starting with what my experience is so I look around and the only people I ever think of as rich are people who have more money than me. I never think of myself as rich, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but you know, when I look compare myself on a world perspective, I'm probably in the top five percent, you know, easily there. And so you're saying instead of starting there, we should start with scripture and see what scripture actually has to teach us about money and what we can learn from it. Correct. Got it. In particular, because I think this is going to be really surprising for you. So let me start here. Um, in my study of Old Testament and the classes that I get to teach in Old Testament, the one thing that's been most fascinating to me is the distinction between Israelite religion in the Old Testament and the religion of their neighbors. Okay. So in the land and the place where the Old Testament people of God were, they had neighbors that had different religions, sure. like the Canaanites, the Hittites, the people of Jericho, etc. Here's what's really fascinating to me, okay? That in all these other religions where they had sacrifices to the gods mm -hmm. and they had a, a sacrificial system, much like the Israelites did, their religion was not tied at all to ethics. Who's? So let me say that again. In pagan worship, uh -huh. meaning Canaanite religion, the religion of the neighbors of Israel, okay. who sacrificed- So non-Jewish people. Exactly. In their religion, the worship of the gods, you could, be, you could reduce that to a ritualistic transaction. Okay. And so what that means is that in their perspective, 
for whatever reason, in these ancient mythologies, the one thing the gods couldn't do is feed themselves. So they could do everything, right? Because they control the rain, they control the sun, they're the cosmic powers. The one thing they couldn't do is provide food for themselves. Mm. So naturally, what does worship entail? Giving them food, yeah. sacrifices, okay? Now, the reasoning behind these sacrifices, you would think is some sort of devotion or some sort of uh, transformative or intention of the heart. It had nothing to do with that which is fascinating to me. Yeah, that's really weird. It's fascinating to me. So when you look at different literature, whether that's Babylonian literature or different literature of of these people groups, worship is completely separate from the heart. So what it meant for them is that they gave the gods worship so that they can get something in return. Sure. It's completely transactional. It's kind of like a convenience store. Yeah, yeah. You can think of the gods in the ancient world like a 7-Eleven. Somewhere you go when you need a gallon of milk on an emergency, or you just need a candy, you just need a snack. It's a transaction. Mm. Now, the reason that's fascinating is because ethics or how people should behave morally in society was completely different and not tied at all to their religion. Mm. And so the very first thing that we observe in Israelite religion or the worship to Yahweh, the, the Jewish God the, in, the, in the Bible, is that the, the religion and the commands or the ethics are going to be inextricably tied. And the, the mistake that the Old Testament people of God are going to continue to make over and over and over again is that they're going to confuse Yahweh with the pagan gods, and they're going to want to go through the motions of worship without actually intentional transformation. Ah, okay. And God's going to continuously call them out and say, hey, I'm not like the pagan gods. You cannot just go through the motions and check the box of worship, but not not reflect the transformation of character that's going to be then proceeding from that. And so what I want to show you first in the Old Testament is how every command that has to do with money in the Old Testament is inextricably tied to worship. Mm. And that is fascinating to me. So there's five categories here. I have for you uh, the commandments that are going to talk about tithing. Mm -hmm. They're going to talk about offering. They're going to talk about charity, about greed, and about wisdom. Mm -hmm. Now check this out real quick. The first time that God gives the law to his people is on Mount Sinai Mm -hmm. under Moses. And that's what's called the Mosaic Covenant. Look at what it says in Exodus 22, 29, and then again in Exodus 23, 19, and then again in Exodus 34, 26. It says, offer the first fruits of your crops to God as a reminder that he is your provider. So in essence, the, the livelihood or the economy of the Israelites in this sense is farming. Okay? Yeah. They're mostly farmers and um, sheep herders. Mm-hmm. Okay? So offering the first fruits to God is essentially giving uh, the, the most valuable or the initial results Mm -hmm. of your business. Right. Right. Okay. That God says, Hey, you're going to offer that to God, which is really interesting because it's counterintuitive from a finances perspective. However, from a religious perspective, it's saying, Hey, remember that you are to look past the gift and look towards the giver. Yeah. Great. And so it's saying in essence, remember that not only did you not will this success to happen, but it also came from someone who is not only looking for uh, your crops or not only looking to give you blessings, but he's looking to shape who you are. Right, right. So there's from the beginning, right? These commands of offerings are tied not only to have a perspective about money, but to have a contemplative attitude about who's my giver. 
and what do I look like when I ponder upon that giver? So the very nature of the gift is supposed to encourage reflection. Exactly. That leads to transformation. Because of who the giver is. Yeah. That's fascinating to me. Yeah, that's wild. Look what it says about tithing in Malachi 3.10. The command for tithing, it says, hey, test me, go ahead and give me these tithes and see if I will not open the floodgates to give you to give you more, essentially is what that's saying, right. which is really interesting, right? So essentially what God is saying is, hey, you think that 10% is a lot of your salary? Go ahead, test me and see how much more I can give you, right? Which, which is kind of interesting in a way where that is kind of not a conditional clause right. or a guarantee right. saying that I will give you, but it's saying, hey, don't forget that the heart of the giver is way beyond what you can see and what you have in your hands. So even tithing in the context of the Old Testament is framed as a vehicle to understand the gift giver. Yeah, great. So you're only giving back to God what belongs to him anyway. Anyway, yeah. Um, And what's really interesting is that God, unlike the pagan gods, he doesn't need food, right? There's right. this psalm yeah, yeah, yeah. where he says, like, you, you think I, I need these sacrifices? You think that what everything doesn't belong to me and I can't have it already? So the issue isn't to somehow satiate this capricious or or this, this whiny God. That's not the issue. The issue is that God constantly endeavors to reveal himself and who he is to his people through his gifts to them. Mm. What's wrong is when the people mistaken the giver for the gift. Yeah, yeah. And and so, again, um, in Ecclesiastes 22, 25, it says, hey, when you lend money to a brother or sister who is in need, do not charge them interest. Right. Why? Because this is not a business transaction. Right. right. Because lending money to somebody who is in need is supposed to, you're supposed to see them how God sees them. Mm-hmm. And so love of God is is then going to lead to love of neighbor. Yeah. And what a beautiful reality, right? Like we can step into that in terms of being the giver. In e- that, exactly. We'll to... Because what, so what the law then is doing is it's divine revelation that transforms the law keeper to look like the law giver. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, that's really, uh, that's a lot more full of a picture than what we typically hear like on a Sunday morning, like, hey, make sure you give your 10% on the way out kind of thing. Right, yeah. right. And like I said, we're going to get to the pragmatic questions. Like, yeah. We're going to talk about how expensive uh, shoes should a pastor wear, like, or sh- should I buy a Bentley if I could? Like, we'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah. But what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to show you that through the story of the Bible, there's a unique thread and a perspective that God gives to his people about wealth yeah. that I think is so often overlooked when we go right to the pragmatic questions and we don't we, we don't see this. We overlook it. Um, so the last thing I'll say here is look at Ecclesiastes 5.10. It says, whoever loves money never has enough and is never satisfied. And so what's really interesting here is the converse is also true, that when you love the giver more than the gift, you're going to begin to look like the giver. Yeah. But when... Um, you are obsessed or infatuated with the gift itself, with wealth, then you're bankrupt already. Yeah. The irony of that, because you actually don't know God. Yeah, that's wild, man. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah, yeah it really is. Um, and so, however, lo- look at how the Proverbs talk about human responsibility. Because Proverbs 10.4 says, hey, laziness brings pro- poverty, but diligence brings wealth. So the the 
the wisdom theologian or the person who's observing God's world still sees, hey, there's human responsibility involved. So you can't just sit around and say, hey, I love God and God provide for me right, right, without right, doing right. anything. Right, right. Right. There's human responsibility and accountability that is there. And so the way that those two things enmesh is fascinating to me. Um, now, do we see this also in the New Testament? Talk to me about that. Yeah. So there is some carryover in terms of the value that making sure that money isn't your master is right and jesus talks extensively about it. in fact money is one of the things that he talks about most right uh the connection between what you do and who you are mm -hmm. becoming is more tightly related to worship in terms of you know jesus talking about no man can have two masters right so if you love one you hate the other if you serve yeah. one you can't serve the other and so yeah. money is a beautiful stand-in for that because if we're always chasing money then we can't actually be chasing christ and oftentimes the pragmatic outworking of that that we'll see is like we uh, do it under the guise of chasing stability mm -hmm. or chasing, you know, just till I get enough to buy a house or just till I get enough to buy a car. Then I'll start tithing and I'll start carrying and blah, blah, blah. Right. And you've already lost, like you were saying, like you're chasing wealth, right? Like, like the writer in Ecclesiastes says. And so you've already, you're already bankrupt, you know, in that kind of situation. Uh, but the idea here is it kind of changes, right? So in the New Testament, the commands for money uh, aren't written on tablets anymore in the same way, uh, but in the spirit that indwells you and me as a believer now. So we believe as Christians that the Holy Spirit, you know, lives within us and helps us understand what the right thing to do is and how uh, the right way we are uh, in terms of supposed to be, um, how we're supposed to behave. And so we see that uh, in Malachi, like you said, that it indicts the Israelites for failing to tithe. But now Jesus in the New Testament is going to take it far more personal, right? He's going indict to indict the Pharisees for this hollow tithing. Mm. And so uh, you'll see that, you know, without uh, fulfilling the ritual, without applying the principles to other people. And okay. so uh, in Mark 7, you see this a lot, this idea of like being aware. Um, Jesus says, be weary of the Pharisees and their leaven, right? Because it, you know, a little bit of it can ruin the whole batch. And the idea here is like, if you're not uh, really, really careful in the way that you approach your relationship to money, there, mm -hmm. it's going to transform you instead of you being transformed by the act of giving. Mm -hmm. there. And, and it's a lot more of a difficult road to hoe, as it were, because there's less of this like spelled out thing that we see in the New Testament because Jesus mm -hmm. himself, that so tithing, okay. giving 10%, yeah. hear me, everyone, tithing, <laughs> giving 10% is not a New Testament concept. It's not something that's affirmed in the New Testament. It's not there. Jesus actually challenges you to go above and beyond, right? Okay. You're supposed to give more of the self. So let me get this straight. In the Old Testament, you have the specific Mosaic Covenant, which actually stipulates pretty specifically for their context what these regulations are right. and what these money laws are. Okay. Now, in the New Testament, the law or the divine instruction mm -hmm. is no longer spelled out on tablets, right? right? But now it's actually wielded through a person, Correct. which is the Holy Spirit, who now indwells us. So Correct. now let me ask you this. The law goes away, but the Holy Spirit now internalizes in, in us. So does that make us more accountable or less accountable? Far more, because what we begin to see is that, that paradox is crazy. Yeah, because every time Jesus talks about the law in the Gospels, he either fulfills it or he intensifies it, right? right? And so when he brings it about, when he brings Old Testament law into the New Testament, kind of reaffirms it, you know, in that way, instead of just fulfilling it. And so it's no longer applicable in the same way. The idea is he's raising the bar on what it means to actually That's be a follower exactly right. of God. Exactly. And so the idea that when we begin to think of tithing or we begin to begin to think of our relationship to money is it becomes one aspect of the self 
that we deal with, right? One of the things that you'll hear preachers use a lot is this idea in terms of dividing the self into time, talent, and treasure. Mm -hmm. So where you put your time, where you put your energy, efforts, things that you've been blessed with, right? Things you know how to do, and then where you put your treasure or mm -hmm. your money there, right? Yeah. So Jesus says where your money is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also in Matthew 6. So the idea here is like, what you focus the self on, mm -hmm. right, is going to be the thing that really has mastership and ownership over you, right? And yep. so we see there's a couple of points that are worth examining here in a little bit of detail. Luke 19, so Zacchaeus, right, you guys know, if you, maybe you've heard the ch children's story, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He's like, trying to see Jesus teach on the road. He can't yeah. find him, so he climbs a tree. He's a tax there. collector, by right. the way. Hated by everybody, yeah. because as a Jew, you were under Roman occupation. You didn't like the Romans, and then you didn't like the Jewish people who worked for the Romans Correct. either. They were doubly bad. They were bad on all fronts. So as one of these people, he's outcast by pretty much everyone because the Romans probably didn't really care about him. As long as they got their money, he was good. Correct. So Zacchaeus would cheat people out of their cash. Yeah, he would his say, own people. Yeah. So say the Romans wanted a dollar. Zacchaeus would say, well, the tax is actually $5, right? And then he'd give his dollar to the Romans, and then he would keep four for himself. Yeah. So when Jesus comes through and says, hey, Zacchaeus, like I'm coming to your house to eat with you today, Zacchaeus repents, essentially, right? And he returns four times anything he stole, and then immediately he gives half of his possessions to the poor. And Jesus' initial response there, salvation has entered this house today. Now, isn't it insane that when Zacchaeus is sitting across the table from God himself. Right, yeah. In a way where... Also terrifying, by the way. <laughs> right. So he sees God for who he actually is, yeah. which means that he then sees himself for who he actually is. Right. Repents, mm -hmm. comes to faith. And the very first thing that is transformed or the byproduct of a transformed heart is how he sees wealth. Yeah. That is absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, because when you, again, like what you're saying, when you encounter the transformative Christ there nothing else it's like the man who sold everything he had for the treasure in the field right and mm -hmm. it's just like nothing else is worth as much as what that relational experience is uh now second corinthians 9 6 through 15 paul is not uh, only talking about giving right that we should do it but that we should be giving out of just gratitude and not compulsion right but he's also making the connection here to worship and giving right other people are going to know god because of our generosity mm -hmm. and this is one of the things i hear by people who are impressed the most right uh, a couple of churches in the area i am uh, familiar with we're a part of, you know, with everything in the coronavirus pandemic, yeah. like teamed up and helped raise almost three quarters of a million dollars Jeez. for just people in the community, wow. and people in need. And it was an amazing thing to see. And people were genuinely affected. Like the story got picked up by the LA Times, right? Wow. A lot of newspaper stuff isn't genuinely friendly to like Christian stuff happening yeah. today. But when you see generosity, it's transformative. Absolutely. And people care about it. Right. Because it's not just giving of stuff. It's giving of the self. Yeah. Yeah. And that is what God does. Because it's the biggest sacrifice. Truly. Exactly. Yeah. God and, gives of himself. Now, we see a, a negative archetypal example, right, which is a fancy way of saying like a story that's not a good thing to emulate. Right. In Acts 5, uh, God kills Ananias and Sapphira for lying uh, about, you know, what they were giving to the church. And Peter talks about them. He's like, hey, look, you weren't required mm -hmm. to give this stuff, but you decided to. So what's the point of lying? Right. So it's like this fake transformation. Correct. Really, uh, it's a condemnation and, of hypocrisy. Right. Uh, but, you know, that's a pretty intense way to yeah. prove your point. God, like, right. <laughs> the idea of striking people down. And then obviously the, you know, the big one, First Timothy 610, the love of money is the, root, the root of all evil. evil. Correct. Correct. Good. So I feel really good about that foundation. I that don't, because it's an incredibly difficult standard to live up to. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> but from that perspective, I think it gives us a better picture or we're better positioned to actually think about some of these questions. Yeah. So like, let's get to it, right? Like, how much is enough? Is, yeah. is pursuing money actually a moral end? And let me rephrase that question. 
is it inherently a good thing or a bad thing to actually want stability, to want a house, to want things like the American dream? Sure. So from that perspective, how would you answer that? So I, I sit in two very weird positions, right? Okay. So I'm from the Philippines. I grew up in, you know, a developing country in the world. And so like we lived in the side of a mountain and I remember the longest I ever went without electricity and running water was 30 days. Right? Yeah. And so I didn't believe you the first time you told me that. Yeah, but it's but not it's a lot. No, not a lot. But it's right? true. And and so I moved to a country, you know, where we're in America and where we live now in California and Southern California, especially where the housing market is incredibly right. high. And you have to make god awful amount of money to be able to live comfortably here right yeah. like rent is super high where mm -hmm. we live and like those are just the realities that we face in yeah. and so i have like this really one uh, my experiences are polemic right in their nature meaning like on one side i have this extreme poverty that i've lived in yeah and then on this side i have this extreme comfort that i now mm. live in right like i make no bones about it i think my life is incredibly comfortable like i'm incredibly lucky and i and i don't have any problem admitting that hmm. so the the position i try and take on this is uh, the moment that I f begin to feel money plays one ounce of uh, a distraction from my walk mm -hmm. with the Lord, I'm pursuing the wrong thing, mm -hmm. right? And and I say that because it's like one degree right off over a long period of time can totally screw your trajectory, away. right? Yeah, there's some aviation rule. It's like one degree for every 60 miles you fly off is an incredible amount off wow. course. And, and so... Uh, so, but so I think of that and I, and I say that to say like, this is not an answer. I think everybody can answer the same way. Correct. And, and I think it would be foolish to try and to prescribe one. Yeah. And to yeah. try and work that no, out. No, that's exactly right. And so is money a tool or a weapon? Well, it depends whose hand it's yeah. in, right? Yeah. And I also think it's really important to understand that the relationship between blessing from God or abandonment or curse from God is not proportional to your yes. wealth. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And so when you see poverty, for example, it is not necessarily a sign of abandonment from God, mm -hmm. right? Like rather, um, most missionaries in the world and most Christians in the world don't live uh, a cush lifestyle, right? right? And, and, and what's so important to know is that the value set by which prosperity is understood in God's eyes is not the same yeah. as our, you know, 21st century American values. Yeah. Right? What, what gives me worship is the paradigm by which God is probably going to think about our interactions with money. Exactly. And somebody who's struggling, you know, like where I grew up in the Philippines, like somebody who may not have more money than I may be dealing with that very issue, mm -hmm. right? Like their worship being hollow because they're focused on trying to make money. Correct. But it's like, Again, that's a very, very difficult position to kind of waft right. and, and labor in. And so anytime we make this like direct tie to the more money you make, the more blessed you are. Uh, no, it's not like that's wrong. That Correct. is a false gospel, right? I mean, right. you look at the person of Paul who was like crazy dirt poor there yeah. and was beheaded and spent most of his adult life in prison after he converted. And it's like, I mean, maybe not most of it, but he spent a lot of his life in prison. It's like, dude, that guy was poor as all get out, right? But the idea, like Paul's attitude is what I've tried to model my life on personally in my pursuit of money. Cause I will admit open openly, like the reason, one of the big reasons I became a pastor was because I knew that I had to make for me this all in commitment to following God. I am very greedy naturally. I'm very <laughs> selfish yeah. there. I like making money. Yeah. Uh, I love all of those things. And those are all a recipe for not being a Christ follower there. Like mm -hmm. you can't be those things. I can't marry those ideas. And so for me, it was like, I either, have to give all of it, all of my life, all mm. of my existence, all of my mm -hmm. money, all of myself, 
to this and use that as my tithe and offering. Otherwise, I'm going to be a real selfish person and a jerk that nobody wants to be around. I'll be rich, but I will lose my family for sure. Mm -hmm. I won't be a good dad. I'll be a terrible husband there. And it's like I'll become a workaholic and work myself into an early grave. Yeah. And and so for me, those are the stakes that I'm playing in. Yeah. And that's a really scary. Yeah. You know, and even as a pastor, I still like have to fight that, you know. Right. And so uh, obviously there's far more well-behaved people, <laughs> right, in terms of people with better self-control. And let's not demonize anybody who's rich because it's like. The church doesn't run without wealthy people. So, like, people who are benefactors, like Lydia in the New Testament, like, mm -hmm. praise God for women like her who had a house that the apostles could meet in. Like, those people are great, too. So, mm -hmm. I just, that's just an important caveat yeah. to me. Yeah, <laughs> no, that, that, that's super important. And so, should a pastor be buying a $2,000 pair of sneakers? Like, ultimately, right, we, I think you have to contextualize that. Yeah, and I see, would, like, hey, just because you got flagged on preachers and sneakers doesn't necessarily uh, disqualify you or discredit you, right? Um, and so context is super important for yeah. what's going on. And I also think a lot of times we're not privy to people's intentions, yeah. nor do we have uh, full pictures mm -hmm. of their context, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, for, for me, I'm, a little, I'm still, like, I wrestle with that one a little bit. Yeah? There because, well, I mean, in Romans... How much is too much for sneakers? Oh, I don't know. I don't know what the price is okay. there for that, right? And that's why, like, I'm. That's why I agree with you that we have to be hesitant to put a label on yeah. there because it's like, what makes somebody stumble? We want to remove all of those stumbling blocks, Correct. right? And so, but if something was given to me as a gift, mm. right, dude? If Kanye gave me a pair of Yeezys, like, I would find an outfit to wear the Yeezys <laughs> with, right? It's just like it's not part of my normal attire, right? There, but it's like I would make that work. Yeah. There. So, uh, I think you're dead on me. We have to be very careful about casting any type of judgment there because we were then putting ourselves in the seat of the giver, right? Mm. Like, and that's a very, I don't know about you, but that is that's not a, a hot place. Seat. Yeah, I'm I not, don't want to be there. I'm not trying to be there. No. <laughs> However, we don't have to apologize for saying, hey, the way we manage health has everything to do with our religion yes. and how we view God yes. and not apologize for that and still say, hey, although we're not apologizing for that and don't hesitate, we still have to reserve conclusions about every specific situation. Yeah. 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 All right. I feel pretty good about it. Yeah, that. it feels good to me. There awesome. We, we solved it. You're welcome. <laughs> awesome. So, guys, that's what we got. Leave us a comment. What do you think? What do you think about my Kyrie's? Would you buy some shoes? What do you think about how money relates to your personal walk? We'd love to hear more about that. Mm -hmm.